<laughs> Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 470. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink. And I am Jason Michael a.k.a. JMI. Yeah, he's Yay! back, he's back, he's back. <laughs> glad to be back, guys. We missed you. I'm glad you haven't been busy in the, in the month <laughs> yeah, or so. Yeah, what have you done recently, Yeah, what do you, what's your story, James? Well, you know, I had to do a couple of things. Uh, in the world of theater, it's been kind of depressing. We found out that Broadway wouldn't open back up until at the least May 2021. So to hype up everybody, the American Theater Wing and the Broadway League decided to show everybody that Broadway was not dead and bring out the Tonys. And I got the honor of hosting the Tony nominations. So Yay. we brought out Best Musical, Best Play, Best Revival of a Play, and also, I am producing a concert, and I thank you guys for talking about it. I'm producing a virtual concert of the songs of Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. I have to get that right. I am producing a virtual concert of the songs of Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas that will air this Saturday, Halloween night, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can go to the Actors Fund to get your tickets. They're only $4.99, and, I'll, and now I am done plugging anything else I'm doing. <laughs> well, James, we had a we had this discussion when we were originally talking about this concert. Lorraine and mm-hmm. I, where do you stand? Is Nightmare Before Christmas a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie in your humble opinion? Ah, this this is a conundrum because it's actually both. You can do that whereas like my one of my favorite movies that people bitched me a lot of is The Grinch. The Grinch could really only be played at Christmas time, whereas Nightmare Before Christmas, it's brilliant because you can play it from October 1st through January 1st because it works. As long as those three months, Nightmare Before Christmas is totally working. So it's both. See, I usually watch it Halloween through Christmas as well. But what I've realized is, is that I start watching it before Halloween and then I have exhausted it by the time it gets to Christmas. <laughs> Lorraine, did you watch any um, scary movies this past weekend? Yeah, I watched Suspiria, the remake yeah, of the, it. The remake. Okay, we were we, that? that's on our queue. So uh, there was a, a movie that's very acclaimed uh, made by an Italian filmmaker that I'm forgetting the name of right now. Dario Argento. Yeah, music by Goblin. It rules. Um, and <laughs> so it was created in the 1970s and they did a remake of it more recently with Dakota Johnson. And it's essentially about like a Martha Graham, you know, modern dance troupe in Berlin and uh, essentially... They're witches. That, that's that's the idea. Or there's like some witchcraft nice. attached to it. Um, it's the ending is great. I'll just leave it at that. It's a cool, it's a cool ending. Um, uh, but we, we're trying to tone down the movies because my husband and I are now literally taking turns in the night, waking each other up from nightmares because we're watching so many scary movies. <laughs> um, I think we're up we're up to twenty five scary movies. Plus, <gasps> I have watched all of Haunting of Bly Manor, all of Hill, Haunting of Hill House, and I watched the in, an entire season of that show, Evil. So, like, whoa! I probably I I don't even know how much TV I've watched at this point. Like seventy hours. Of Jeez. of just Halloween TV, and that doesn't even count all the baking shows I watch. And those are scary. Um, yeah, they, those are scary because I want to eat everything. All right, we've spent a lot of time here talking about scary movies and stuff like that. But <laughs> welcome to this week in scary movies. <laughs> we should just do yeah. We should do yeah. this week in scary movies. Uh, if you are listening to the show, it's because you want to hear about Marvel, and that's what we do here on this week in Marvel. We talk about everything that's happening in Marvel this week, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever. Uh, we know we had a lot of listeners join us last week for our Marvel and Fortnite talk, which was great. We had a lot of fun talking with Donald Mustard from Fortnite. If you want more Marvel and Fortnite uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, there's an episode of Marvel's Pull List, which went out this week, that I also co-host, and we talk about uh, the Marvel and Fortnite connection, collaboration, the comics and everything with the editor of the comic, Mark Basso. We also talk about Maximum Carnage, which is kind of a perfect, also like scary horror book to talk about in this time period, because there's so much murder in that book. It is horrible. Well, Carnage is a serial killer covered in a venom symbiote. So it's murder yeah. mixed with murder for a side of murder. Yeah, for a side of <laughs> yes. murder. Uh, we will, of course, be talking about more Marvel and Fortnite stuff as uh, updates come through. And as you heard from last week's episode, there are many plans for this collaboration. It's going to go on for a while. 
Lorraine, something I know that it means a lot to you is also something we want to make sure people think about this week. Yeah, you got to vote, y'all. If you're listening to this now on Friday or anytime after that, it's a great time if you have a mail-in ballot to take it directly to the Board of Elections or to an early polling site or on the day to a polling site because it's a little late to get it in the mail. Get your ballots in. Don't sit on them. Uh, make your voices heard. Uh, voting is an important part of our society. Please do your part. I'm voting on Election Day. You know, I, I may be in line a bit, but I that's my plan. I know my wife is going. She wants to go in person and go early, although it's been wild lines and stuff already. So we'll see about that. Have either of you already voted? Yes. Yes. I uh, I had an early ballot and I put it in because I wanted to make sure it got there. So make sure you step out and you make your voice heard. That's right. Uh, and I encourage you, if you're excited and you're here and you're voting this year, make sure you do it again next year. Make sure you do it every year. Exactly. And for any of our uh, many, many listeners who are not in the U.S. and it is not uh, Election Day, don't worry about it. If you've got friends in the U.S., maybe remind them to vote, too, because um, sometimes people forget. Sometimes, you know, people need a little encouragement. And, um, yeah, everybody's got to do their part. Um, all right. The baby is cranky right now. Can you hear that? It sounds. Is she imitating a squeak toy? (laughs) She does this like pterodactyl noise every once in a while. (laughs) Anyway, so there is a new Marvel made uh, bundle. You know, they are. It's a new platform that features these prestige projects for Marvel. They're really high end collectibles. So this one is going to be the first Paragon collection. And it's as fancy as it sounds uh, because it is a Chris Claremont premiere bundle. So, yeah, Lorraine, I, I did. Um, you probably wrote it and I, I recorded it for Earth's Mightiest Show, a video about this. Uh, it's the Marvel made Paragon collection is this line that we're doing that's going to celebrate our iconic writers and artists. And we're going to, you know, have these big, beautiful collections collecting storylines and contributions that these uh, amazing creators have done over the years. And um, they're going to be hand numbered. They're going to have authentic autographs. And the first one, as you mentioned, is Chris Claremont. And this has some really, really great comics inside of it. First of all, it's crazy that Chris Claremont, one of the most important, especially X-Men writers of our time, is literally like writing a dedication by hand and signing it by hand, which is bucket nuts. But the the stories collected are really cool. Um, it's, it's a lot of his classic books. It's his very first X-Men story. It's the Dark Phoenix saga, Days of Future Past, the Wolverine series that was illustrated by Frank Miller. You know, the the original one with the, the cover. You know the cover. You know, the one with his hand up. Oh, yeah. And he's wearing the brown suit. You know. Uh-huh. Um, and then he's going to get also have an iconic story from Uncanny X-Men 268 that features Cap and Black Widow. And then there's X-Men number one. Uh, which he did with Jim Lee. Uh, And then there's going to be a brand new 20-page Days of Future Past story with art by Salvador La Roca. It's a prequel to the original Days of Future Past storyline. And it sounds like it's going to be really, really cool. I mean, this this whole thing is crazy because it's like encased in faux leather and it's got like a really fancy slip cover. And there's like a ton of stuff to it, as well as a Wolverine 6 variant with a cover that is Days of Future Past theme by Olivier Coy. Pell. I mean, it's there's so much to it. There, there's like numbered lithographs, uh, the original Days of Future Past handwritten notes and script, which I really, really oh, want to yeah. check out. That to me is like that's some cool, cool archival stuff to get wow. in there. This is really neat. Uh, it is not going to be available anywhere else uh, aside from through Marvel Made, and it is only available through November 20th. So Whoa. it's uh, what we're doing here for Marvel Made. <laughs> James is like, oh, man. Like, really? That only, only that? Really? <laughs> Damn it. Uh, this is a pre-order campaign, so this is only going to be produced. This Marvel Made Paragon Collection Chris Claremont Premiere Bundle will only be produced if Marvel Made receives at least 1,200 pre-orders for the bundle. So got to get out there. Got to go to marvelmade.net to pre-order it. It costs $199, but you're getting over 440 pages of comics plus other stuff. It's it's wild. And a little piece of history. It's I mean, it's yeah. pretty darn cool. 
Um, James, I know that you're really excited about wrestling. I am. I, I love everything pro wrestling, whether it be independent pro wrestling of ladies and guys just starting out or going to Japan and watching this amazing wrestling or watching awesome Latin Luce Libre, where they are the classic guys with the mask, classic ladies with the mask, with the good and the evil and the fighting and the mating, and Marvel is doing something with them. Okay, I should calm down. <laughs> Technicos and Rudos. It's going to be great. It's good. Marvel Luce Libre edition pulls inspiration from the iconic superheroes and villains. Oh my God. Okay, but Marvel and AAA, AAA is one of the most awesome wrestling organizations in the world, are getting together to expand the sporting and cultural experience of Mexican wrestling. A new group of wrestlers inspired by Marvel's most iconic superheroes and villains will be introduced. Huh. The series of family shows that will gather the perfect combination of sports, culture, and entertainment that distinguishes wrestling in Mexico will be developed. There is a style. Luce Libre is an amazing, jumping, flying, flipping, most athletic style of wrestling. It is ridiculous. And the first four wrestlers of the group, on the one hand, we will have the technical wrestlers, which are basically baby faces, which are the good guys. Yeah, the those first four wrestlers are great because they are inspired by Marvel characters. So you have Leanda Americana, which is inspired by Captain America, Aracno, which is inspired by Spider-Man. And in the Lucha Libre parlance, they are the technicos. And yes. then you have the rudos or the bad guys yep. and like the very tough wrestlers. Terror Purpura. The Purple Terror, which is basically Thanos. Yeah. Which I think is awesome. And Venenoide, which is uh, inspired by Venom, which is just yes. cool. These, these, these look really cool. The costumes, there's a lot of thought put into this, not just like, okay, let's yeah. take Captain America's mm-hmm. costume and put it in a wrestler. There's so much more to it. And so it's really, really special. There's a thing about uh, wonderful, most people look at pro wrestling, and it is. It's a, it's a basically a giant soap opera. But the time and the effort that AAA puts into their storylines is amazing. So it will be at the next AAA event, Triple Mania, to be held on December at the arena in Mexico City, when the public will be able to watch them live and appreciate the moves, holds, counter offenses, and evolution of these wrestlers inspired by their beloved Marvel superheroes and villains. There is just something amazing and just something so awesome and just raw theater about professional wrestling and the way that the legendary Luce Libre do it is just breathtaking. So I cannot wait. I know where I'll be that day. (laughs) Everybody should just go over and watch the trailer on marvel.com so you can check out the masks because I do think that is one of the coolest elements are those, you know, classic Lucha Libre masks. Uh, They're just really, really cool. And the crazy thing is no disrespect, no disrespect to legendary Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio at different times during WrestleMania, every time he comes out with a different mask of of a superhero. But what AAA has done with Marvel, with these masks, this... Folks are going to want to go out and buy these. These are fire. You are going to lose your mind when you see these masks. Trust me. Yeah, I only have one Lucha mask. I do own a Lucha mask. It's somewhere in one of the boxes I started packing up already, but I'm going to want these as well. And Maybe one day we'll be recording and you'll see me in a, in a Lucha mask. Yeah, listen, I, you, you tell me where you get them because I want to buy them. <laughs> I definitely procured one at Comic-Con several years yep. ago and it has big crosses all over it. And Ooh, I was like, nice. I don't. I'm not familiar with whose mask this is, but I have a Lucha mask, so. (laughs) James, you got to get in on it. You got to join us. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Another thing we want to talk about today is that the prop store is now open with bidding on over 550 props, costumes, and set decorations from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, We talked about this a bit. You can check it out at propstore.com slash Marvel. And the auction wraps up live all day on November 10th at 11 a.m. Eastern. So you still got a little bit of time to get in there and get one of the like over 500 items or something kind of for everybody. I'm going to get that Ghost Rider jacket. They can't stop me. And I'm just going to be like, this is what Gabriel Luna smells like. <laughs> How much is it going for? I don't know. Probably a lot of money. <laughs> I assume it's a lot of dollars because I, I imagine that's a pretty hot, hot yeah, ticket. All right. So normally we would have an interview in this part of the show where we we talk to someone uh, great about Marvel and their career and all kinds of fun stuff. But we are changing the game this week. Great suggestion. It was either by Lorraine or our producers, uh, Persia and Zachary, that we should do some readings of old Marvel scary stories. Now, 
we found these scary stories in, I believe these were in Strange Tales, right? Yeah. One of the things that's really cool, honestly, about these stories, so they're prose stories. They're proper, just words, no art in a comic book. And part of the reason for this historically is uh, it had something to do with shipping. I'm going to fog it up a little bit, but but they had to have a word limit. Uh, essentially to send them in the mail. Mm -hmm. Two pages of prose stories to get them classified as magazines and get the, a certain, um, there was a, a certain like legal dispensation for them. It's it's super neat. Um, with these stories, they're uncredited though. So that's kind of part of what I love about them. There's this like deep mystery. Um, I asked a couple of Marvel historians on on the staff, namely Tom Brevoort and Brian Overton. Brian um, is in our sort of like, collected editions and he said that they are uncredited and we really can't know for sure who wrote them um there's some folks we could dive deeper with but even then it would never be definitive because none of these are signed they could have been by stan lee they could have been by anyone in the office so it's it's pretty neat well, and the funniest thing about, you know, comic book history is nobody thought anybody would ever care. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was sort of like, we're trying to get a magazine out, like, to that mind. So it's not like, we better keep track of who created Captain Bip-Bop because, <laughs> you know, he, he's this one-off guy. But Poor, poor Captain Bip-Bop. Captain Bip-Bop, uh, he was... He was uh, he uh, ate a piece of radioactive popcorn and became the most poppinous hero in New York City. Captain Bitbop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so these were originally in Strange Tales. Strange Tales was an old Marvel Comics anthology series that would have three to four comic stories as well as the prose story. This is where Jack Kirby came back into Marvel and started producing cool monster stories. Steve Ditko is in there. Stanley, like this is. Strange Tales is really the mm -hmm. the runway for um, getting Marvel Comics back up and running after the Atlas years. Well, and I think a perfect example of that in a way is so in, in the Atlas years in the 1950s, a lot of these genre stories were really, really popular, especially horror. And um, it's like sort of the perfect thought is if you've ever read Doctor Strange number one, it came out of Strange Tales. Yeah. And it was the perfect kind of story that seemed like, oh, this might just be a one-off about a guy who's a master of dark magic. And then it turns it out to become a, a superhero story. And a lot of those stories, you know, if you think about Journey into Mystery, were these sort of fantastical stories that ended up being the birthplace of, of Thor, right? Uh, so a lot of superheroes were born out of these stories, even though they were kind of meant to be like these one-off, like, ooh, spooky tales or crazy things that happened, you know? kind of stories. Yeah, and even characters like Fin Fang Foom and Groot and and other characters that have become well more well known in um over time it were introduced before the Marvel superheroes in the pages of Strange Tales or Tales of Suspense and other books like that. So, the great history here um and these are we're going to read a couple different stories. James. Yes. Why don't you go first? Because you have one that I just could not read because there was some stuff in there that was upsetting to me. I understand. I, I, I read it and something about it touched me. Don't get me wrong. I don't want you guys to take it the wrong way. Um, I am all about uh, protecting animals. But there was something spooky about this one. It is called I Am Vampire. There are many conflicting stories about the strange happenings in Bangkok, a small Hungarian village, some years ago. Because I was an eyewitness, I shall proceed to tell you exactly what happened. In the winter of 1908, a severe winter with heavy snowfalls and bitter cold winds, the Count von Kazin, a nobleman of high birth and the wealthiest man in the region of the country, had imported some wolfhounds from St. Petersburg, Russia, to train for the spring hunts. They are beauties, real beauties, Rudolph, the Count said to his loyal servant, beaming with pleasure upon the white wolfhounds that stood before him trembling on their slender legs. In the spring, they will be the finest hounds on the hills. Not even Hendrik Goblev will have the finer dogs. These animals are the prize any man would be proud to own, eh, Rudolph? Yes, master, Rudolph replied. He too beamed with pleasure at his beloved Count's joy. 
The Count von Kazen was indeed like a small boy who had finally been given the toy he had always dreamed of having. Zed Rudolph, I charge you with the care of these dogs. You are to feed them at the finest and provide them the best shelter and give the other needs excellent care. Now off with you. I will look in on them later this evening. The change in environment may be hard on them the first few days. Yes, master, Rudolph said, and led the five white dogs to another part of the castle. The Count exercised the dogs in the snow the next morning and continued their training under his personal guidance for the next few weeks. Rudolph watched from the window each morning, tears of joy streaming down his leathery cheeks. The Count raced through the snow in his high black boots, the dogs barking and nipping at his heels. Then it happened. When the Count went to the kennels one morning to take the dogs out for their exercise, he found one with a large gash in its neck and the blood drained from its body. The once vivacious and sensitive animal lay like a statue of white marble, still and lifeless. The Count stood over the dead wolfhound, trembling with rage and sorrow. When I find the fiend who committed this atrocity, I shall have him hanged, he vowed. Rudolph buried the dog beneath the snow the next day. Two days passed, and another of the white dogs was found with the same kind of gash in its throat and drained of its blood. Master, Rudolph began hesitantly as he stood by his grief-stricken Count von Kazen. I believe this is the work of a vampire. Nonsense, the Count roared. There hasn't been any vampires in part of the country for over a decade. Impossible. No one of my political enemies is using this inhuman means to torture me. Knowing my fondness for the dogs, they are plotting some treachery down there in the village. But they shall not succeed. I shall have every man in the village executed at dawn if this happens again. The Count raved and ranted, insensible with anger, as he picked up the dogs in his arms and carried them back to his castle. The next day... The Count was preparing to go to the village to issue his ultimatum when a group of five peasants approached the castle gates and requested permission to enter and speak to Count von Chasm. The Count met them on the steps and asked their business. Sire, we have come to humbly beg your help. The most terrible and inhuman cruelties are being inflicted upon our household pets. Our dogs, our cats, are found dead in the morning with great gases in their throats, drained to the bone of their blood, one explained. Yes, sire, it is true, another added. We do not know what kind of horrible beast this is who preys upon helpless dogs and cats. What is it, sire? What can we do? Poor friends, the Count said and put his arm around Jan Mazik, a hearty woodsman who loved dogs. I, too, have lost two of my precious Russian wolfhounds in this way. I shall come to the village tonight to talk with the people and decide some course of action. That night, Rudolph drove the Count to the village inn where the men had gathered to discuss the problem. Welcome, sire, Mazik said as the Count closed the door against the hard wind. The Count brushed the snow from his shoulders of his cloak and ordered some wine and joined the men at a long wooden table. Their faces were gray and haggard with worry. Well, gentlemen, first of all, what is it that is killing our animals and draining them of their life's blood? Sire, the men are all agreed that the last one of us that it is a vampire, Mazik said, acting as a spokesperson for the villagers. Yes, the Count said softly. I think you are right. But in all my experience, I have never heard of a vampire attacking animals, nor do we possess any legends that speak of vampires preying upon domestic pets. This is some entirely new kind of vampire. Is it human or animal or both? My belief is that it is an animal vampire of some kind, a dog, a cat, or perhaps even a sheep or goat. Who can guess what form this hideous being possesses? or when it may strike and claim the lives of a human being. Mazik suggested and took another glass of wine to chase the chill that crept down his back. As another villager was about to offer his suggestion, the loud cry of a dog in pain and fear settled upon the night air and pierced the stillness. Oh, heaven help us, Mazik cried. What was that? 
The men dashed from the inn and stood in the empty street listening for the sound to come again. And again, the howl echoed through the desert village streets. It sounds as though it's coming from that house, the Count shouted and pointed in the direction of the modest dwelling at the end of the street. That is my house, Jean Mazie cried. It is Gromo, my, my beloved Gromo. The woodsman dashed from the group, running coatless and bootless through the snow towards his house and his dog. The others followed, unconscious of the danger that might await them. When the other men caught up with Mazik, they found him weeping over the lifeless body of his hunting dog and dearest companion, Gromo. The vampire had attacked and disappeared into the dark, wintry night. Gromo! Gromo! Mazik sobbed, lifting the dog in his arms. I will find this fiend and drive a stake through his heart that I have hewn with my own hands. Ah, poor Mazik, the Count said. Tomorrow night we shall gather at the inn. Prepare to find the vampire and destroy it. When the Count returned to the castle, he went to the kennel to check the new locks he had ordered and placed upon them, and to see that the three remaining dogs were safe. Only two of the wolfhounds appeared at his whistle. His heart pounded with fear. The Count searched the kennels thoroughly and a nearby hillside calling and whistling, afraid to utter what was in his mind. The Count returned to the castle and questioned Rudolph without telling him what he was thinking. Have you heard any unusual sounds as he kennel during my absence, he asked. No, master. I looked in shortly after you left, and the three dogs were sleeping peacefully, he replied. I see, the Count said gravely. I see. What is it, master? You have always trusted me, Rudolph said quietly. One of my wolfhounds is a vampire killer. It is true. Somehow, I know it is true. What disaster have I brought to my own village? I shall never forgive myself. But are you absolutely sure? How do you know? Rudolph queried. One of the dogs is missing, and Mazik's Gromo was attacked while we were all at the end, the Count explained. Perhaps the animal has just broken the kennel latch and run away. He will return when he gets cold and hungry, you will see, Rudolph said, trying to console the distracted Count. Yes, that is my fear, the Count returned, that the monster shall need new life and return. As the Count spoke, a pure white vampire dog stood at the top of the hill, baying at the moon, its wings spread out against the blue-black Hungarian sky, its red eyes shining rubies. If one had come upon it standing in the snow, it would have seemed like a beautiful but terrible nightmare. I know, although I couldn't see it myself, because I am the vampire. The end. Yay! What a great image at the end. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. I like that. There's two vampires. There's two vampires. He's a vampire, and he didn't think his dogs could be vampires, and one is. I would love if my dog Robot became a vampire. I wouldn't want him to have like a murderous lust for blood, but he would be so cute with like little bat wings because he already kind of looks like a bat. <laughs> The look on the Ryan's disgust. face. <laughs> my one of my cats. Uh, we have two black cats, Maybelline. She, as a kid, she looked like a little. Was when she was a kitten, she looked like a little bat cat, like a little bat, but also a cat. And also that the the dragon from How to Train Your Dragon acts exactly like my cat. It's wild. It's Toothless. Beautiful. Toothless. Yeah, that guy. So wonderful. Lorraine, are uh, you ready? Yes, I. I am ready, and my story is called Death! Exclamation point, which is how you know it's a musical. <laughs> yes! <laughs> that joke was for James. Thank you! <laughs> All right. Even to this day, I tremble with terror at the sight of a seashell. It all happened about 10 years ago when I went to Maine to convalesce after a stiff bout with pneumonia. Financial shortcomings prevented me from going south. However, what I needed most was a long rest coupled with mild exercise. And as I had always had a desire to go to Maine, the decision had been easily made. 
I was fortunate enough to find a moderate hotel with a large sunny room, good meals, and situated in a quiet town close to the ocean. Whenever my windows were thrown open, I could hear the breakers hit the beach, and at night especially, I would listen to the steady, monotonous sound until it lulled me to sleep. The first week, I remained in my room most of the time. On the tenth day, however, I was bored with reading and dozing in my chair and the whole general inactivity of my convalescence. I decided upon a walk upon the shore. After walking for ten minutes, I left the outskirts of town and was alone on the beach. I turned suddenly to a small cove where the wind ceased blowing almost entirely. I was surprised at the comfort with which the warm, still air now greeted me and at the surrounding solitude. In my initial enthusiasm to be rid of my room for a few hours, I had eagerly tried to put distance between it and myself. The sunlight and brisk air had invigorated me even further so that I was enjoying my walk with decided relish. However, once I reached the position of the cove and felt its mysterious sheltering protection, the stimulus with which the wind had buffeted me now left, and I suddenly felt the extent of my fatigue. Indeed, I had every reason to feel tired since it was the most energy I had used in many weeks. I decided to rest for a while. I settled myself comfortably close to the shore, but beyond the reach of the fine spray. The sky was blue and cloudless, reflecting the blue of the ocean. The surface of the water, caught by glints of sunlight, was almost blinding. I must have fallen asleep for the next thing I remembered was being startled by the loud cry of a seagull and sitting up. I found that the sun was far down in the west. I rubbed my eyes and when I reopened them, I began to tremble violently. The tide had risen and at that moment of my awakening it had already reached the level of my shoes. Another ten minutes might have found my body lifelessly churned upon the surface of the water. Frightened, I was about to scramble to my feet when I felt a sharp coldness against my hand. Looking down, I saw the rough, horned surface of a large conch shell. I was surprised that I hadn't observed it before falling asleep, yet due to my exhaustion, I couldn't be sure how long I had been in the cove before dozing off. Perhaps it had actually been only a few moments. Somehow the shell had captured my interest, so I picked it up, taking the shell with me. I then hurried back along the shore to town. By the time I reached the hotel, the sun was nearly gone, and I was chilled and shivering. I went directly to my room, fearing that my foolish walk might delay my recovery. I took a hot bath immediately, and bundling in my chair, I had dinner sent to my room. It must have been nearly 9.30 when I remembered about the shell. I found it on the table before the window facing the ocean. I must have placed it there upon my first entering the room, and in my anxiety caused my shills. I had forgotten it completely. I picked up the shell and examined it closely. It was large and grayish-brown on the outside, speckled with brown dots. Turning it over, I noticed a strangeness about the color of the pearly inner surface of the lip. Instead of the usual delicate pink, this shell was a ghastly yellow-green and had fine tracing of blue veins. I was immediately repulsed by its ugliness, yet, with natural curiosity, I raised it up to my ear. I heard the inner humming very clearly. Then I also heard another sound, like a muffled scream. I pulled the shell away, uncertain to whether the sound actually came from the shell or from somewhere outside my room. My eardrum still rang, and I was too frightened to move. Though I decided the sound couldn't have come from the shell, I still had no desire to put it back to my ear. Then I became aware of something else. An odor which was easily traceable to the shell. It was the smell of the ocean, of seaweed and brine, and of something which I couldn't define. The owner was both disagreeable and disgusting. I put the shell quickly back on the table, sorry that I had brought it to my room, and I resolved to throw it back into the ocean first thing in the morning. I went to bed shortly after ten, and I tumbled relentlessly with all sorts of strange thoughts going through my mind. After a while, I fell asleep, and when I awoke, it was still dark with a faint glow of moonlight coming through the window. I was instantly aware of two things. 
One was the horrible suffocation I felt as I attempted to breathe. It seemed that the room had been vacuumed completely of all its air, despite the fact that I had opened several windows before retiring. There was a terrible howling of wind, as if a storm had broken during the night, and the pound of the ocean seemed loud and nearby. Next, the awful odor nudged my senses. It was as if the ocean itself had entered my room, and there was the same vile, decayed smell that I had detected about the shell. The thought instantly alarmed me. Then, as I prepared to sit up in bed, I knew why. There was something huddled on top of me. The horror of that discovery was followed by an even more terrifying one. I had only been aware of its weight up till now, but suddenly it reached out for my throat. As I tried to hurl it away from me, my hands closed on a soft, pulpy surface covered by tangled bits of what I knew to be seaweed. I screamed. The sound of my voice made the thing take a more violent action. It began pushing against my chest, leaning closer until the smell became unbearable. I screamed again and again, pushing, thrashing, fighting for my life. I was on the verge of fainting when my door was thrown open and the light switched on. The manager claimed he found me delirious with fever and wrestling with my bedclothes. I looked about me, unbelieving. A light breeze made the curtains billow now, and then before the opened windows. There was scarcely any wind, only the distant, rolling hum of the surf breaking upon the shore. On the table, I saw the shell. Its yellow-green lip was turned to me. Upon it hung a long, wet strand of seaweed. For the rest of the night, I kept the light on. In the morning, over all protests against my sanity to venture out with a cold, I went down to the ocean and threw the shell back. And without a backward glance, I hurried back to my hotel room. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Also, that was great. I'm good. very afraid of the ocean, so this really appeals to me because <laughs> the first time the first time I went swimming in the ocean, I saw something living in it. And as a child, it had never occurred to me that it was full of living things. And I was like, there's something alive in there. And my mom was like, Yes, everything is alive in there. <laughs> it's like a true nightmare. I like the ocean more now. <laughs> Uh, I also like that that was from the first issue of Strange Tales because mm-hmm. that's a great gripping yeah. story, um, and that is like this is the tone we're setting. They're like this, this is where in. we're going with this. I love that. Great yeah, read. Yeah. Great read. Oh, thanks. It is. Uh, it's about to be my turn, which is daunting after two fantastic reads by the two of you. Um, but I also have a request because we were given a whole bunch of stories to choose from. Uh, our amazing producers found a great bunch of stories i really wanted to do muscle man which just because it was called muscle man but and it was a fun story it wasn't really spooky enough but then i looked at some of the others we had we have one called you only die once with an exclamation point (laughs) also a musical yes yep or the smile of mrs orco and i leave it to the two of you which one do you think i should read i mean I love a menacing woman, so I'm very drawn to the smile of Mrs. Orko, but... You also would have me, you know, doing a an old lady voice. Which, I, I feel like there's some great voices in that one, so, yeah, I, I mean, it does appeal to me. Let's go with the smile of Mrs. Orko. Okay. It'll be a cinch, Kingsley. No one will suspect you, the honest and dependable dick of anything like this. And you get a cut. A big cut, Kingsley. How about it? Detective Kingsley felt peculiarly uncomfortable in his room filled with gangsters of the worst reputations, and he fingered his tie nervously. He looked around him at the faces that stared, the faces that were all half-smiling, half-scrutinizing. Maury Sampson, the man who had just spoken, face scarred with purplish, livid marks, hair clipped short, his body short and chunky, but obviously powerful. Mickey Diamond, the pug-nosed, toothpick-like guy in the corner, his hand poised automatically over his gun belt. The others all dressed sharply, too sharply, looking at him, waiting, waiting for his answer. But, well, look, guys, isn't it risky? Kingsley questioned. After all, I've got connections in the police force. I know all the guys there. They know me. Exactly, Diamond said. You'll be above suspicion. 
There's no risk. Okay, it's a deal, Samson, he finally said. You're right. I'll never be suspected by the Force, and the people I hit for protection, though, will be too scared to talk. And it was a deal, just like that. Detective Kingsley walked out of the dark, gloomy building an hour later, after discussing and drawing up plans for the proposition that would bring him plenty of money. He wiped beads of perspiration from his face, then laughing suddenly at his needless fright. Yep, a cinch, I'll be set for life and living easy in no time at all, he said to himself as he got into his private car and drove off, being careful no one had followed him here. On the next morning, Detective Kingsley walked into Pop's grocery and waved feebly at Pop's usual greeting as he looked up from his task of stocking groceries on the shelves. Good business this week, Pop, Kingsley asked, clearing his throat first. About the same as usual, I'd say, Pop answered, continuing his work. Then he turned around to Kingsley, noticing his strange, unnatural silence. I want to keep things going smooth, don't you, Pop? Smooth? Sure. Hey, what's this all about? Just this. There's a little organization I know that offers a complete protection for a modest sum. One half of your take provides protection against damage, maybe even complete destruction. You're kidding, aren't you? No. No, I can see you're not. I don't know how you propose to get away with a thing like this, mister. But I reckon I remember the old days of these protection rackets and what they can do, so I'll pay. But so help me, someday you'll be caught. Someday. Jack Kingsley brought his fist sharply up to the old man's jaw. Just a reminder, Pop. Have the dough ready every Friday for me. He was on his way. Kingsley made the round of the stores on the block, a fairly busy business section in a bustling town, with the same result. These were all old-timers, who knew, like Pop, what happened if they didn't join the protection organization. They were frightened and shocked, but they paid, that is, with one exception. Kingsley walked into Mrs. Orko's sewing shop. This was going to be the third time that day, and each time he had threatened the woman with violence. But still, she refused to comply. Now he strode in, determined, fierce hatred on his face. He knew the boys wouldn't like it if everyone on the street wasn't included. Mrs. Orko, this is the last time. Pay up, or you'll be plenty sorry. The old woman only laughed. The corners of her mouth drew upward, breaking her face into a million wrinkles and her eyes burned black and determined. Go away! Leave me alone! Go away! I will not pay! I could just see Lorraine laughing in the background. I'm the- sorry, I'm sorry. It's just, it reminds me of Monty Python. Like, oh, it's not me! Go That's away! Pretty much. <clears throat> it was great. I loved it. He waited a few hours until darkness fell, and the other storekeepers, fearful, had locked up and quickly sped toward their homes. He made a phone call, and as he continued along the street, his heart leapt at the sound of an explosion. The job was done. He knew that on Friday nights, Mrs. Orko stayed late in her shop, balancing her accounts, and now she and the shop were no more. On Monday, late in the afternoon, Kingsley began to notice a strange atmosphere about the neighborhood. There was a tenseness he couldn't explain, but he knew it was something he should investigate for his own peace of mind. He stopped at the grocery shop and peered in through the door. It wasn't Pop who stood there stacking canned goods. It was a woman. Oh no, good grief, it, it can't be, Kingsley gasped. But it was Mrs. Orko, the woman he thought was dead. He ran to the next door, and there too, the door was closed. He peered under the green shade that was drawn halfway down the glass door and tried to see who it was that stood behind the counter, putting stock on a shelf. Kingsley put his hand to his mouth to stifle the screaming terror he felt. It's her, Mrs. Orko. Something strange about her. I always thought now she's come back, back to haunt me. She's dead, but yet she's here. She's everywhere. I look everywhere I see. I, no, I must get a hold of myself. There's one thing I can do and I'll do it now. But Before I move away from this territory, I'll let the boys at the station house know. Rather than have them find out later, no sense in taking chances they'll become suspicious of my actions. Yes, I'll, I'll tell them today. He hopped into his car and sped through the narrow streets toward the station house. When he got to the captain's desk, he was breathing hard and sweat poured down his face. Something wrong, Kingsley? Captain Fredericks asked. He realized how he must have looked and stood for a moment, regaining his composure before he spoke again. I've done so well up to now and no ghost or whatever that woman is will make me betray myself now, he thought. 
Wrong? Well, no, Cap. I just wanted to let you and the boys know I've moved my office to another territory. The, the section of town doesn't afford me enough opportunity to show what I can do. It's, it's pretty quiet. I'm headed for somewhere else, where there's more excitement. Captain Frederick smiled peculiarly, and the expression on his face seemed to bring an unexplainable fear to Kingsley's heart. He made a few hasty goodbyes and then left. He couldn't seem to shake the strange, foreboding feeling when he remembered the captain's smile. He got into the car again, still puzzled. He drove away and headed for Valley Street. The territory was unfamiliar to him, and his strange feeling made the driving even more difficult. He had to get away from the ghost of Mrs. Orko. Why was I afraid? What was there about... Good heavens, that drop ahead of me! I can't... I can't... Swerve... The car plummeted out of control, the terror-stricken man inside helpless and screaming. It careened crazily off a cliff, and the car fell swiftly down toward the rocky lakeshore below. But just before Kingsley blacked out, he remembered. Captain Fredericks, who had smiled so strangely, he knew. For a brief, terrible moment, Kingsley saw the face again and knew that the smile was the smile of Mrs. Orko. Yeah. Actually, that one, that for, for me, <laughs> the smile of Mrs. Orko is could be easily be filmed and done as like a Twilight Zone or a Tales of the Crypt or oh, totally. that's that. Hundred percent. <laughs> those are super fun. I'm yeah. so glad we did this. Me too. That's uh, fun. You guys read great. Yeah. It was a blast. We'll we'll make sure to put the links to the comics for in Marvel Unlimited in our new story that we post on Marvel.com. To go along with this, um, these are from Strange Tales number one, number seventeen, and number thirty. And then maybe we'll even put in some of the others that we were we were kicking around. I, I want everyone to read Muscle Man and hear, hear about the old <laughs> weird little dude. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I love Halloween. I can't believe it's going to be over. I'm now. I'm just going to be a creep watching these movies <laughs> and <laughs> reading this stuff. You know, just an unseasonable creep. But you know what? I like to bring that to the world. Oh, but we we all kind of get to um like stretch out the the creep season because we are going to talk about Werewolf by Night next week. Yes. Yeah, new Werewolf by Night book. It's a uh, it's a lot of fun. It's really cool. It's a different Werewolf by Night. So with that in mind, we have a question of the week. Lorraine, what do you think? Who is your favorite traditional? style monster from the Marvel Universe. I'm talking your Draculas, your werewolves by nights, uh, like somebody wearing a bandage, like a mummy. <laughs> the living mummy. Uh, yeah, we have the living mummy. We have uh, the we living have vampire, Morbius. That's true. That's true. Morbius, yep, yep. Um, yeah, we have, we have Dracula and lots of vampires. Yep. Man, there's a lot of man thing. He's a that, traditional thing. Uh, a man thing, He's in a man fact. thing. You know who I, I have a real love for? Shikla. Uh, Deadpool's yeah. demon vampire lady wife. I don't know what she is. I guess she's a succubus, technically. But she like looks like a pretty lady, but she just turns into like a big, what looks like a big farty monster is the best way I can, I can put it. Like She seems like she's like, and then yeah. she'd be like a huge monster. And I just oh, love her because she's... Uh, the dichotomy that I carry inside of me as well. <laughs> uh, confirmed. Lorraine is a big farty monster at times. Um, I, I want. I, I think I would. If you know, if we were looking at some of those traditionals, I would like to say Blade, but I don't know if he fits in here. Um, Why well, did I didn't but, know you can go that way? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I, like you know, I start thinking about Dracula, and that brings me to Blade. Yeah, because you know, Blade uh, appeared so early in our Tomb of Dracula series. Um, but I really love our Dracula. I think he's yeah. he's cool. Like those two of Dracula books where he he was kind of the main character, but also was uh, sort of like the scary antagonist that they were that our protagonists were following. Um, he's cool, and he's had like a bunch of really interesting turns over the years. So I our version of Dracula is really really fun. I like him. That's a lot. cool. That's very cool. I have to check that out. Uh, we want to hear from everybody listening, though, so you can tweet your answers to who your favorite uh, old school Marvel monster is using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast.marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. But now it's time to see how our community's doing. Ding dong, it's us. Let's talk to the community. <laughs> Ding dong, indeed. Uh, we're ding donging and ringing the bell to uh, 
Karis Pollard at a Karis Pollard on her new house saying she says thanks for the twim shout out the house move is getting there finally got the washing machine done today so we can have clean clothes thanks to uh, us on the podcast for uh, doing the show which has kept her awake for the final stretch of a long lovely drive that evening we're here to keep you awake yes please <laughs> Oh, we got another one here from Karis, who also said that their pick of the week is Guardians of the Galaxy. Al Ewing uh, loved the humor and the intrigue and the costumes and the space politics and tension and the Kree. <laughs> I'm really digging the, the current Guardians of the Galaxy series. It's really good. It also has Hercules hooking up with Marvel Boy. It has uh, secret politics and, and all kinds of weird stuff and a drunk rocket raccoon as a... Uh, <laughs> investigating a murder come on if you don't want to read that you don't want to read comics get into it it's real good it's real good uh i'm gonna read this one um this one is from the tech lord at lex pendragon saying listening to Catherine grace coup on her family day on marvel's pull list was so heartwarming tech lord says i'm adopted and i hadn't heard the name family day so i texted my dad and told him we had a new name for ours he also says his mom is involved but she doesn't text as much uh (laughs) thank you for that lex uh that means a lot everybody has their own ways of celebrating and doing things and um you know it's just it is what it is so if we can share the idea of family day uh i'm i'm happy to to do that we were right before we started recording uh, i was with Catherine grace and she was watching some elmo and dancing on my lap as i was preparing for the show and so all is all is well john swindle at the swindler 90 lorraine and agent m that's you guys. Haven't watched Howard the Duck, but I will watch it soon after your rave reviews. However, I am all for talking the Generation X movie. Used to have that recorded on VHS for ages. I loved it when I was younger, but been a while since I saw it. Hashtag This Week in Marvel. Listen, guys, I didn't know you guys talked about Howard the Duck. I Ooh, wish I'd have known. Yes. I have a love-hate relationship with that movie, and it's just... It's everything and and terrible at the same time. <laughs> Wait, I know I know what the hate part is. So it, you love the movie and you hate when it's over because you have to start it over. Yeah, totally, totally. Because there's nothing wrong with that movie, James. That's a perfect film. You're absolutely... This is a discussion we really need to have. <laughs> I wish we could do a watch along of the oh movie. My oh my gosh, our, I would like, love that. Fans. Ryan, that they can't so stop us. We can do this in our own time. I mean, because of, you, yeah, we you can literally your, do it on a Saturday there, or Sunday <laughs> of our own. It is in my list of things to watch. How about that? Oh, my God. This is my dream. I just, ugh, I loved that movie so much as a child. I, I even loved the ending with the creepy monster from space. I, All of it. I love the song. All of it. I love the song where he gets, where he, you know. Wait a minute. And all of a sudden he gets lowered down and she just happens to have a guitar that's his size and the whole hands it to him. It is the finest art. Yeah. Move over, Da Vinci. I don't need any of your trash. Howard the Duck is on. My brother and I literally watched it over and over and over again for years. Please listen to my compa- companion podcast, Howard the Duck, the movie, <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> we watch it once a week, every week for a year. Yeah, totally. Oh my God, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I could do it. All right, we'll brainstorm more ideas about Howard the Duck for a future episode, but I think it's about time we wrap this up. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Percy of Berlin, Zachary Goldberg, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. Jill DeBuff is our director of audio. Special thanks to Dog Vampires, Murder Shells, and The Ghost of Mrs. Orko, all of which are real and right behind your shoulder! Happy Halloween and pleasant dreams. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And I am James. And this is Marvel. Your Your universe. universe.